All right, welcome in episode 173 of the Hot Crits Podcast. We're back. Presented by Midtown Sports Grill, Savannah's number one sports bar, your place to watch college football championship games this Saturday. Go check out Benedictine in the Final Four this Friday night at Midtown Sports Grill. And of course, NFL Sunday ticket all season long. 4521 Habersham Street, 912-349-6350. 912-349-6350. If you want to call ahead, check out Midtown Sports Grill on Facebook and Instagram. Open seven days a week, 11 to 11. And later on the weekends with a full bar, a full menu, live music, trivia throughout the week, and of course, all the sports you can handle Tell them the Hawk Reds podcast sent you. They'll hook it up for you. Go check out our friends at Midtown Sports Grill, our title sponsor here on the Hawk Reds podcast. All right, it's been a while. Let's get after it for a 173rd time. Hawk Reds podcast. Ain't nobody gonna this shit boy can't rip. I hate LeBron James. Ain't nobody gonna rip like me, spit like me. When God created Adam and Eve, the next thing he did was yell at the referee. Drop them hot grits like me, just like me. Just like me. But first, some sports. All right, welcome in episode 173. I'm Travis Jadon. It has been a while, a month to be exact. That's not the regular plan, I promise. But we got a lot to get to today. Obviously, there's been a lot going on in the last month in the world of sports, college football, And NFL, we'll talk college football, Georgia Southern and Georgia, the college football playoff, all of that. But I want to start local with high school football, uh, then some high school basketball. High school football, we got a historic chance here for the city of Savannah. Four area teams in the final four this Friday night, December 1st. Two in class 3A, one in class 4A, and one in class 1A. So we'll start with Class 4A, previewing the high school football Final Four, the GHSA Final Four, and I, you know, I'm look, I got the brackets in front of me, got a little, uh, got a little research, little analysis for you. Um, nothing too fancy here, but I will give you my thoughts on the upcoming game and kind of the state of these teams and what and what's at stake. Here is historical stuff. We're very close to having a historic three days here, December 11th, 12th, and 13th at the Mercedes-Benz Down. So let's, or Mercedes-Benz Stadium, I should say. Uh, let's look at the matchups. 4A. Uh, all of these games are on the road, by the way. All the Savannah teams are on the road because of that dreaded coin flip. Number five, Stockbridge, hosts number one Benedictine in Class 4A. 11-2, Stockbridge, 13-0, and Benedictine. I believe they've won 24 straight games now. The cadets have. Uh, I think they've won 11 straight in the playoffs. It's pretty crazy to think about. And BC last week continued to do what it's done pretty much all year against good teams. And that's sort of, you know, field them out in the early rounds, which BC did with number two North Oconee last week. 
at, at Memorial Stadium. North Oconee wants no part of Benedictine. Ever. Never, ever, ever in the future. All those all those guys do is lose to Benedictine. And it happened again on Friday, and it was, you know, a sign of what Benedictine's been trending towards with Luke Cromanhawk playing both sides of the ball, the Florida State bound quarterback. Uh, and he was once again good, not great in the passing game. He was good, not great in the running game. And he had like five tackles as a safety. But he, like, Cromanhawk knows exactly what to do to get his team to a win. And why wouldn't you? I mean, BC has won enough of late, and Cromanhawk's been around a while now, the senior. He knows how to win. Okay, that whole program, that whole team, that whole roster knows how to win. And of late, it's been a lot of Cromanhawk, Bryce Baker, Wilkes Albert, Third Scroggins. In other words, the stars have come out to play for Benedictine of late. And and look, Bryce Baker, four rushing touchdowns last week. He's the man. I really hope he commits to Georgia Southern. He's got an offer out there. I know Georgia Southern likes him at running back. He wants to play linebacker. I don't know if he's big enough to play linebacker. But he's a hell of a high school player, and he is a weapon for Benedictine. Before the season began, the cadets had a 67% chance to reach this stage of the Class 4A bracket. I don't understand how that's not higher. Do what you will is that. Maxwell has not had, the Maxwell ratings projections have not had a great uh, last two weeks, I'll be honest. 233 rushing yards per game for Benedictine. That's pretty damn good. 182 passing yards per game. That's pretty close to as balanced as you're going to get at the high school level. Now, Stockbridge, I don't think they're going to be able to play with Benedictine. I just don't know that they have enough firepower. They have 297 rushing yards per game, Stockbridge, but they haven't seen a front like Benedictine's. They certainly haven't seen a linebacker tandem like Wilkes Albert and Bryce Baker. Duke Scott, their running back, is good. Cam Reese, kind of a hybrid edge guy. He's good. He's got like a million sacks on the year. But BC is good up front, and they know what to do when they need yards, when they need plays. They're going to run it behind their big offensive line, especially one side of it, that right side. And they're going to use Croman, Hawk, and Baker to matriculate their way downfield. BC is capable, more than capable, of letting a team spend all their energy, and I don't know about energy, but spending all their effort and might early in the game and nobody for almost 30 games now. Well, for almost 25 games, 24 straight games, nobody has been able to go four quarters with Benedictine. Plenty of teams have gone, you know, a half, a quarter, maybe three quarters. I guess you could say New Hampshire gave them the closest run for their money, but that wasn't even really, I mean, that wasn't really like a last second win there for Benedictine in the middle of the season. They're really good. They know how to win, and they're going to beat Stockbridge. That's what's going to happen. They're going to, it's going to be like a 13-10 to 10 game, 13-7 to 7 game, 13-6 to 6 game, and then BC's going to pull away. That's what they always do, and that's what they're going to do Friday night versus Stockbridge. Now, in Class 3A, as I drop my brackets everywhere, I got brackets all over the place, folks. I'm bracket following. Listen to it. None of these digital brackets, folks. We got the hard copy here. 
in the Hawkridge studio. <laughs> Savannah Christian in the final four on one side, Calvary in the final four on the other side. Could you imagine? Could you imagine the thing that everyone was talking about? Everyone was wondering, is it possible? Are Savannah Christian and Calvary on opposite sides of the bracket? That's what I got asked a lot. Um, yes is the answer to that. And yes, we are now one step away. One win away for Calvary and Savannah Christian each to meet on Wednesday, December 13th at 1 p.m. in the bins for all the marbles. Could you imagine if we had an all-Savannah Class 3A championship? It'd be incredible. I like Benedictine, obviously, in 4A. If we get Savannah Christian and Calvary in the bins in front of all those Atlanta people and we just bring up Savannah football the Savannah football, by the way, that nobody, nobody respects north of like Dublin. And all Savannah Christian and Calvary have been doing is just beating the hell out of people all year. Savannah Christian, two losses, one to Calvary, one to Marist, both really good teams. Calvary, obviously, number one and has won a bunch of regular season games in a row now. But there's no question that Calvary has the tougher test in the final four against really the, the team that everyone's been pointing to, can Calvary beat Cedar Grove? Well, we are going to find out on December 1st, Friday night at 7 o'clock, up in Ellenwood, Georgia. Remember that old rap song? Ellenwood, every year. Ellenwood, every year. That's where they're going to be. That's where Calvary lost last year. Um, was that the final? Four? That was the Elite Eight. This is Calvary's first Final Four since 2020. This is Savannah Christian's first Final Four since 2018. There's so much on the line for Calvary. There's so much on the line for Calvary. Cedar Grove has five losses. They're 85. They're number two in the state. Calvary, number one in the state, 13-0. They had a 24% chance to reach this point. Calvary did. Again, that should have been way higher. Cedar Grove had an 80% chance before the season began to reach the Final Four because they reach it every year, the Saints do. They're really good. They played a tough schedule. They're 8-5. But Calvary's ranked number one for a reason, and I think they're better. I've only seen Cedar Grove play against Colquitt, which lost, by the way, surprisingly, last round. But I don't think Cedar Grove is what it is last year, and I know that Calvary is better than it was last year. Last week, the streak ended for Calvary. They went 30 straight quarters without allowing a point. But Wesleyan came in there to Calvary and gave the Cavs all they wanted for three quarters. It ended up being sort of a blowout. I think it was like 42-21. But that thing was a seven-point game in the fourth quarter. Calvary gave up points almost right off the rip. Pretty crazy play. Uh, it was their first points allowed since September 15th. What a run. But the Cavs have not faced anyone like Cedar Grove. That includes Wesleyan. But Wesleyan didn't give Calvary a chance to show that it can overcome, I guess what you would call, you know, adversity in the second half. They did it all without Thomas Blackshear, who's allergic to the playoffs, I think. Poor guy. I mean, last year, the stuff with Benedictine happens. He sits out. He can't play. Uh, I think he played like the first round or the second round. He played like one of the games. 
and then didn't play again. And now this year, the four-star junior receiver with offers from the likes of Georgia, Tennessee. The four-star receiver in a walking boot last week did not play. Didn't play the week prior. I don't know if he's going to play this week, but the Cavs need all hands on deck. They need all hands on deck. They need, for their sake and for the haters' sake, let's be honest, Calvary's played a boo-boo schedule. I mean, it's Calvary's schedule was arguably one of the worst in the state. Thank God they had Savannah Christian win on their schedule. Because beyond that, they really haven't been tested at all. Until Wesleyan and Calvary showed they can do that. But now revenge is at stake for the Cavs. For Mark Stroud. For Jake Merklinger in his last go-around. Okay, there's a lot on the line for this team. If they lose and end the season 13-1 and with another region title, with a, a Final Four appearance... It's hard to imagine that as a failure, but it would feel an awful lot like a failure. There is nothing but a state title on the minds for Calgary. Now, Savannah Christian won't tell you this, but they've exceeded expectations already. They had a 9% chance of making it this far in the preseason. And I think they're going to beat Carver-Columbus. In Columbus. That's a brutal drive, by the way. Savannah to Columbus might be the most boring drive of all time. Could be the most boring drive of all time. But Savannah Christian is not boring on the field. They have been so good lately. And really, over the last like month, month and a half, two months, they have been able to dominate opponents in the second half outside of that Peach County debacle where they were up 20 to nothing. Uh, we know about the Peach County fifth down, phantom fifth down. But I'll say to that, to that Peach County thing, uh, David Busey caught a touchdown for the game winner. Was basically like 10 seconds left on the clock. And a phantom pass interference was called. I mean, there was no pass interference on that play. Uh, and that was called back. So they should have won in regulation. For all those Trojan fans out there. Or all those Savannah Christian haters. This is a matchup. Carver-Columbus and Savannah Christian of really, really good defenses. But Carver-Columbus's offense is not what Savannah Christian's offense is. Okay? Savannah Christian is averaging more than 40 points per game. Carver-Columbus is averaging 20.1 points per game. They've scored 26 points in their last two games. 26 points in their last two playoff games Carver-Columbus has. They're number nine in the state in the uh, composite ranks. Savannah Christian number five. You want to guess how many points Savannah Christian has scored in the last two games? How about 75 on your bitch ass? 75 of them, boy. All of it with the sophomore quarterback, Blaze Thomas, who was, you couldn't be more of a question mark than him. I mean, nobody really had seen him outside of that program play meaningful snaps. And they went from Spencer Robichaux to sort of a transition year with a one-year starter, Paula Sitrauer, and now they have Blaze Thomas, who they believe is their quarterback, that can lead them to a state title. They have one hell of a defense with Elijah Griffin and LaDamian Guyton on either side. Logan Brooking, David Busey, Jamari McIvory, Zoe Smalls, Kenry Wall, Jaden Miles. They got dudes, dog. And I think that their offense doesn't 
need to do a lot. Like Carver Columbus may have one of the three best defenses in all class 3A. They're really good on that side of the ball. They're really bad on the other side of the ball. And I don't expect them to do much at all against Savannah Christian. I think Savannah Christian wins this game, and I, I would assume that it would look a lot like the Peach County game without all of the craziness at the end. You know, I, I for Savannah Christian's sake, you just don't want anything crazy happening as far as, like, letting Carver score defensively, letting them score special teams. Savannah Christian has been a bit sloppy with the flags, like with penalties, but, I mean, nothing to, like, write home about, nothing too worrisome. I like them to win. I like Calvary to win. And I don't know, like, I don't know how great it would be for Savannah Christian I, you know, I think Savannah Christian would be rooting for Calvary. I know they're not worried about that, but I think they'd rather play Calvary than Cedar Grove just because, like, man, they've seen that team so many times, and they've gotten real close. I mean, nobody has a better scouting report on Calvary than Savannah Christian. But we're talking about Carver Columbus here, who scored eight points against Upson Lee in the second round. They won eight to seven. Okay, Upson Lee allowed 45 to Savannah Country Day. 42, maybe, something like that. Check the bracket. 45. So Country Day puts up 45 on Upson Lee. Carver puts up 8 on Upson Lee. Savannah Christian, as you'll remember, put up a million against Country Day. They allowed zero. Think about that. Like, that is, oh, I mean, it's a little bit of an A plus B plus C, but that tells me all I need to know. Savannah Christian plays the way he knows how to play. It's going to win. And I think Calvary's going to win, too, because, look, when in doubt, I'm going to go with the quarterback. And Merklinger, I mean, people who have listened to me for a while know this, I, they don't get better than Merklinger at the high school level. They just don't. Super excited for this weekend. In 3A, Bryan County was given a 0.0 chance of making it to the Final Four. They're in the Final Four, folks. A 62 and 1 million chance by the Maxwell ratings. And here they are, the Redskins, 12 and 1, allowing just 9.6 points per game. They knocked off number two Commerce last week, 24 to 16. Samush Clemens, Tanner Innes, uh, uh, Jakari Carney. Chris, Chris Winfrey, they got some guys. But Tim Adams and that defense have their hands full with number one Prince Avenue Christian, Aaron Philo, Philo. I don't know how you pronounce it, the Georgia Tech commit. Uh, and I believe he is nearing or approaching or has already done so, but he is close to surpassing an all-time Georgia record for career passing yards. Let that sink in for a minute. This one, Bryan County at Prince Avenue, number 10 Bryan County at number one, Prince Ave up there in Athens. This is a battle of offense versus defense, running game versus passing game. Bryan County allowing 9.6 per game, Prince Ave scoring 45.5 per game. Bryan County averaging 270 rushing yards per game, 
Prince Av, 300 rushing yards or 300 passing yards per game. So there's no secret what Brian County's going to want to do. Smush Clemens, Smush Clemens, Smush Clemens, Smush Clemens, Tanner Ennis, Smush Clemens, Smush Clemens. I don't imagine there's going to be a lot of like, uh, you know, distributing the ball all around. They're going to give it to their guys. They're going to hope to eat up clock and let their top-ranked defense try as best they can to keep Aaron Philo and Prince Avenue under 30. I mean, that's what it's going to take. Going to take you holding them to 20 points less than their average. I don't envision Bryan County being able to go, you know, toe-to-toe with Prince Ave as far as like a 35-32 game or 40-37 to game. I just, Brian hasn't played in a lot of those games this year. But you want to talk about a success no matter what happens? This is their first Final Four in program history. Not only that, they had never won a playoff game. Playoffs? They never won a playoff game before this year. 1973. Big deal. Big deal for Pembroke. I'm rooting for him. I'm going to pick Prince Av. I have to pick Prince Av here. But man, am I rooting for Bryan County. That story is incredible. They're two years removed from a 23-game losing streak. And now they have found themselves at 12-1. and facing the number one team in the state with a shot at going to the state championship on the line. Boy, props to Sherrod Freeman, props to Coach Tim Adams, props to the entire program for what they've done. They are an absolute blueprint for small public schools and how you can win. But now we get a chance to see this public versus private. Public versus private. We got that Calvary and Cedar Grove, public versus private. Benedictine Stockbridge, public versus private. Savannah Christian Carver Columbus, public versus private. That's all you can ask for, folks, and it all happens this Friday. Now, if they win, looking ahead quickly to the state championship, Monday, December 11th, Bryan County would play at 4 p.m. in the Benz. Tuesday, December 12th, Benedictine, 4 p.m. Benz. Wednesday, December 13th, 1 p.m., the Class 3A state championship. That would be Serena Christian, Calvary. Um, if either or both arrive at that point. So follow me on Twitter, at John Sports, for all these updates. Um, I will be updating the games on Friday night. The newsletter for Connect Savannah is done for the year. We did 15 weeks. Thank you guys all who read that. Um, Wednesday is a big day for high school sports, too. It's the... State Executive Committee's meeting to see about these new 3A to 1A power rating system. Um, it's an algorithm that has a 1 through 32 seed. So right now you have 32 teams in a playoff bracket, but you have eight quadrants of 1 through 4, if that makes sense. So there's eight 1 seeds, eight 2 seeds, eight 3 seeds, eight 4 seeds. In this new system, you'd be seeded 1 through 32 with the top eight teams being the region champs, and then the next eight teams being the region runner-ups. After that, you take the region three through four and you power rate them, right? So the the best second-place team would be the nine seed. The best team according to this new formula. I tweeted out the formula. I'm not going to go through it in the audio format, obviously, but... 
you know, it's a lot. And I like the power rating system in theory because I like being able to depend on numbers. But if you're talking about strength of wind and you look at like, say, Calvary's region, proposed region, they're not going to have a lot of big wins and they're going to have a lot of region gains. They're going to have nine region gains. So they're going to have one non-region gain. They're going to need the people they beat to beat other teams. Um, and when you're playing that many region games, it's, you know, it sort of cancels each other out. So that's the only backdraw I, or, you know, drawback to the power rating system. But I like that they're considering it. And I like that they're not like rushing this through. They've gone through several rounds of proposals on this thing. And the next one will be Wednesday in Thomaston. Um, also on Wednesday in that same meeting at 10.15 a.m., Ebbingham County will try one last time to appeal to move down from the highest class 6A to 5A. That will be heard at 10.15 a.m. on Wednesday. All right, uh, that's high school football. A little high school hoop coming up. But first, a word from John Carr. Johnny Carr, a sponsor here on the Hawk Ritz Podcast, the best realtor in town. Call or text him, 912-228-0916. 912-228-0916. You call John Carr, text him, find him on Facebook, Instagram. He's with Seaport Real Estate. He knows the area like the back of his hand. So if you're trying to sell your house, if you're trying to buy a house, if you just want to learn more about the market, text John today. 912-228-0916. Okay, talking high school basketball now. Uh, won't go long on this because we went longer on football, but the in-market Savannah Hoops shootout happened over the weekend at the arena at in-market arena downtown Savannah. Um, forgive me a second. I'm trying to get my stuff together here. Okay, so... I just wrote down notes basically over the weekend, Friday and Saturday, two games Friday night, two games Saturday night, and the play on the court was good. The refs were terrible, um, no worse than they usually are, though. I mean, we had some weird moments in the Savannah High Johnson game, and I'll get to that in a second, but I wrote down sort of like thoughts, notes, winners, losers. Um, one of the winners, I think, is the city and the event itself to be able to put off in a relatively short period of time um, and I wrote a lot of this by the way on connectsavannah.com you can read the whole rap and the box scores of these games but I think the event itself showed that it's worthy of putting on again more people came to the two nights of high school basketball than came to the two honestly poor nights of college basketball uh, the days before and that's probably because the teams in the college basketball tournament really had no local ties at all. I'm sure, you know, Oakview Group that owns in Market Arena and Mike Costello Law Firm, former HGP guest, by the way, Mike Costello, um, who's a title sponsor of both events, the Savannah Invitational, which was the college event, and the high school event, the Savannah Hoops Shootout. But I think, you know, all indications are they're going to try to make this thing happen again and they're already in conversations with that you know trying to make that happen we do need to think long and hard about the date of this thing not having football players available spoils a lot of the matchups just because like 
you know, Johnson, BC on Saturday night, BC was playing. They had like two varsity players on their roster. The rest were on the football team. I mean, they were starting guys that had no business on the varsity court. I mean, it was cute and all, but I mean, they got run. And by the, by the end of the game, Caleb Jones was gasped because he was having to bring the ball up the court himself. Um, so, you know, Johnson runs away and really handles BC at the end, but it was a closer game throughout just because of Jones, I think. I mean, Caleb Jones, obviously one of the player of the year candidates, but Johnson won that one 71-47. Savannah High went 2-0 over the weekend. They're a winner. They are number three now in Class A D1, um, according to our guy Kyle Sandy, another former HGP guest. Um, I liked that they had... So one of the things I had written down before the event was like, listen, we have to have camouflage on the soundtrack at some point, and it really should be pretty often. Shout out to CJ, that's my DJ, who was on the uh, ones and twos for the event. The moment I walked in Friday night, for the first game on Black Friday after the Dolphins game, by the way, crazy Dolphins game. Crazy Dolphins game. But I walk in Friday night and literally when I open the door, you know, to the back loading dock of the arena and I'm walking in, it's Cuffrin's camouflage. So that's a check. Mike Hostelo, on Friday night, they do a prayer before the, the game and he gets like a shout out in the prayer. They thank Mike Hostelow personally for all the work he's done in the community. Um, and they, this was, I wrote this down because it was so like weird. <laughs> they said, Lord, please continue to uplift Mike. End quote. I think there's hundreds of people in the arena and we're just uplifting the one guy who's just so happens to be the sponsor of the event. Pretty sure God knows, like, who's doing community support and who's not. And I don't think we have to announce it during the prayer. By the way, I don't know if a prayer should even be happening before a basketball game, uh, given what's gone on of late around the country and in Tattano County, especially, like, the football coach getting fired for having players baptized. Another story I did on ConnectSavannah.com, but that was weird and, and kind of funny, to be honest. Um, I talked about BC having some JV players. Uh, I think Ben Harvey was his name. He was like five foot two freshman. Um, and I'm convinced that BC's head coach, Frankie Williams played him, uh, and had him on the roster just so coach Williams would not be the shortest one in the team photo. Could be a first for him. I like, I really like the way he coaches though. I love the way Frankie Williams coaches. He's an old school kind of coach in the mold of a lot of the coaches in this area, current and past, but he's doing it at Benedictine, and he's elevated them. Obviously, they were in the Final Four last year. And just the fact that they got an invite to this tournament tells you a little something about their brand of basketball, which, you know, wasn't great for a while. They, I mean, they have a history of good basketball at BC. But, you know, here in like from, say, 2012, up until last year, they weren't that great. Certainly not any final four runs. Groves was another big winner over the weekend. They beat St. Andrews. Coach Kevin Evans talking a little junk after the game. I saw that on 912 Suspense. 
YouTube channel. Check out, shout out my guy Spencer. Check out that. He said uh, in the locker room of St. Andrews to his players, Kevin Evans said they kept wanting a public school. They kept wanting public school. They got a public school. And Groves, for its work of late, is now number 10 in Class 3A. They played Savannah High Tuesday night. I don't have the result. Obviously, you'll know the result by now if you're listening to this. But Groves and, and Coach Evans are looking solid. They don't have a star, but they have two to three players, including Sydney Flags and Ty Chisholm, that are really good. And, you know, they could contend in that region along with Long County, Johnson, uh, Beach, obviously, Groves. Um, well, obviously Groves. I'm talking about Groves. Uh, one of the losers from the weekend was Mayor Van Johnson, another former HDP guest. Uh, if you look on my Twitter, you'll have to scroll for a minute, but Mayor Johnson had a rough time making a basket during a halftime promo. Um, and the account on Instagram Overtime, a really well-known account, posted it in the poor guy, the poor Mayor Johnson, man. I think it was like, I think it was over 100,000 views last time I checked. It took him like nine shots. He started at the free throw line, went in near, like right under the basket, still couldn't get a bucket, went back to the free throw line, and by the time he made it, the players for the team that had went into the locker room for halftime were coming back out to warm up. That's how long it took him to make a basket. I mean, it was really wild. So not a great look for that, but that's on the PR team, I feel like. You can't have your mayor out there exposed like that. And who knew Mayor Johnson was a lefty? I didn't know he swung that way. Did you guys know that? You, did you guys know Mayor Johnson was a lefty? Uh, the, another loser of the night was, I don't know his name, one of the refs in the Johnson Savannah High game. At one point, after he makes a call that's just a brutal call, Kamari Jones crosses up a Savannah High defender and it was not a walk but like people are going to slow it down into 0.1 speed and say that it was a walk it wasn't a walk uh the guy missed a call he missed a bunch of calls in the night and at one point he stops the game walks over to the media table starts talking to a ref that had refed the game prior and he tells the other two refs one of them was Vern a longtime ref here in town that he's got a calf string and he can't go anymore Middle of the second half, close game. Savannah High Johnson, top 10 matchup in Market Arena. Guy says he has a calf strain. He wants to know if the guy sitting at the media table in street clothes that ref the previous game can go back into the locker room, change into his ref clothes, and take his place. That was the request that he went to the table. Now, we didn't know it at the time what he was asking. We thought it might have been a shot clock malfunction or something, but when he walked to the table and he's just talking to a man in street clothes, we're all like, well, who is that? Who is that? Just so weird. Like, obviously he did not leave the game, but he made that, that brutal call after trying to get out of the game. And then after the game, this is on my Twitter as well, Chuck Campbell, like the head coach of Johnson and an assistant at Johnson, not my younger brother. Um, but... Several assistants for Johnson were pissed at the refs, and, and you can see them yelling at the refs as they leave the court. So the Savannah High and Grove, or Savannah High and Johnson game delivered. Savannah High won that game because of their ability to get to the free throw line. They only made one three pointer the entire game. 
an old school brand for George Brown and his team. They're off to a good start in the post Tim Jordan era. Um, I think Calgary is not going to be as good as we thought they were going to be. They don't have their football players yet, but they don't have a lot of shot makers. They have size, but they're just not very strong. I don't know if that makes sense. Um, Coach Brownlee, Scepter Brownlee for Calvary, also had a rough time with the rest. He, there's one time where he's yelling in the middle of the court, timeout, 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 timeout. And the whole gym can hear him except for the three refs. He did not get the timeout, by the way. <laughs> so yeah, rough day for the refs. There were also no trainers in the building on Friday night. Johnson's Fabian Kirkwood is down uh, with the right foot, ankle, but he's going to be out for a while now. That's a tough loss for Johnson. Um, and when he goes down with that ankle, there was apparently nobody to like ice him to tape him up. Like the coaches had to do it. Like uh, I think Coach Lindsay, the athletic director for Johnson, had to help out. I mean, it was you can't have an event like that and not have trainers. I mean, that's a glaring mistake there. And you can say what you want that they're all at the football games. Well, then you can't have the event. That should be pretty obvious. Luckily, it was just an ankle and not something more serious. Um, all right, a couple more notes here. Uh, Benedictine doesn't have an active roster. Uh, their roster in the game program was nowhere near accurate. They don't have a roster listed on their school website. Literally no players. They don't have a roster listed on Max Preps, which is an official GHSA rule. But as we know, BC is above those rules. Uh, so they just won't post their roster. And nobody can say shit about it. Especially me because I hate BC because I hold them to the same standard as the other schools. How dare I? Um, we talked about the date change with the football players. I don't know when they could have it because the Savannah Holiday Classic is right there in the middle of December. You don't want to have it this upcoming weekend, like the first weekend in December, because that's probably going to be championship weekend in college football most every year. Um so they're going to figure that out. The Holiday Classic, by the way, is heading for a change this year. I think from the sound of it that it's going to be a showcase-style tournament and not the traditional bracket style where we had the Washington, Crawford, uh, you know, the four different squares where there's a winner's bracket and a loser's bracket. I think now it's going to be a showcase moving forward. In other words, you're going to have your game scheduled ahead of time. So you'll still play those three or four games, I guess. Three games in four days, I think. Um, but you'll have your scheduled games. So you can include more teams that way. Like Some teams can play one game, some teams can play two, some can play all three. Um, and it'll still be at various venues across the city. Uh, I think we should consider a name change. I don't know that Savannah and Shootout go well together. That's just me. That's just me. All right. Uh, that's it for high school basketball. Um Plenty more on hoops as we move through the season. Again, I think teams to watch and potential title teams. Savannah High and Johnson, if they can find some sort of inside presence and, and some mojo too. They were just flat. Can't really describe it. Um, New Hampshire has looked good in the early going. Woodville Tompkins, Travis Pretty, 5-0 uh, with a couple of top 10 wins, I think. So they're off to a good start in the post-Lenny Williams era. 
Um, and then, like I said, Groves, Savannah High, Johnson, Woodville, New Hampstead. I expect Country Day to be better. Um, so we'll know more as we go deeper into the season on high school basketball. Savannah's premier indoor baseball training facility, SBPA, is owned and operated by Ross Howard, and together with instructors who have played college and professional baseball, Ross and SBPA offer customized instruction year-round for baseball and softball players, full-length batting cages, pitching mounds, and a state-of-the-art technology to measure improvement are just a few of the highlights over at the Academy. Call Ross at 912-484-5282 and visit the Savannah Baseball Performance Academy on Facebook for programs, teams, camps, and more information about how to take advantage of this great venue. Savannah's only year-round indoor baseball facility, Ross Howard, our guy, Give them a call, 912-484-5282. Okay, we are days away from what many, many smart people, many smart people are saying that this is the most important, uh, the most anticipated championship weekend in college football, modern college football history. There's so much on the line this weekend. Um, Tuesday night, as you're listening to this, if you're listening to this on Wednesday, um, they've just released the college football playoff rankings. And I'll say a couple of things. I, I got some thoughts on this. Let me start with the surprises. And you don't need me to run through them, but one Georgia, two Michigan, and then I'm going to run through them. So here, here's how it goes on Hot Grits. You don't need me to run through them, so let me run through them. One, UGA, two, Michigan, three, Washington, four, Florida State, five, Oregon, six, Ohio State, seven, Texas, eight, Alabama. All right, so eight teams there capable of making the college football playoffs four-team playoff. Except for there's not really eight that can make it. Ohio State is number six, ahead of number seven, Texas, ahead of number eight, Alabama. Alabama being number eight is not good for Georgia. It's not good. I anticipated, and I had in my notes here. You guys know I'm a big-time notes guy. I have in my notes at the top of this, like, uh, segment what I want to run through. Number one point, UGA is in no matter what. And it was crossed out. Because I assumed Alabama would be ranked at least at the bottom, they're four, seven. I can't believe that Ohio State is still above Texas and Alabama. I don't know who looks at Ohio State and thinks that they're better than Alabama or Texas. The fact is, out of these eight teams, Ohio State does have the best strength of schedule. But that's because they've already got Michigan on the schedule. That was a loss. So the thing that's making their schedule so great was actually an L. And Georgia's schedule, which is, by the way, seventh out of these eight, eight teams, number 59 overall, 
in Georgia's schedule is going to be up there, probably in the top 30 range, after playing Alabama in the SEC title game. I'm crossing Ohio State out. They're not in. They can't make the college football playoff. And then I'm going to mark out one of Washington or Oregon. Okay, one of those teams are guaranteed not to make the college football playoff. So that leaves us with six, right? And I'm not crossing out one of the SEC teams. I could cross out Bama because if they lose to Georgia, obviously they're not going. I'm still not convinced that Georgia can't lose and get in. I, I think there's still a path to them losing and getting into the college football playoff. And it's not that far-fetched if you start asking yourself, what is the committee looking at? What have they told us? What's on their website as their stated mandate? It's to search, seek out, find, and get the four best teams into the college football playoff, not the four most deserving. Pretty crucial, pretty crucial point there. Because Florida State at 12 and 0 certainly is deserving as an undefeated power five. Let's assume they beat Louisville, which is no assumption. I think Louisville is going to beat Florida State. And that's another thing Georgia has going for it is that by the time Georgia kicks off at 4 o'clock as six-point favorites against Alabama on Saturday, Friday night, Washington and Oregon will have already played. And Saturday, Texas and Oklahoma State will have already played. So two of the results will, will already be known to Georgia and things may be clearer even at that point. Again, all of this is like if you're a Georgia fan saying just win it, it doesn't matter. Don't forget, Georgia doesn't beat Alabama in the SEC title game. Never happened. And in this, the last year of the SEC East versus SEC West style championship game, this is it. This is your last chance. Don't forget, many Alabama fans feel that Georgia has yet to beat a full-strength Alabama team, period. The receivers were out in the national championship game. That's how Georgia beat Alabama. The receivers were out. So that's what they think. So if Georgia comes out and loses this game, boy, that schedule looks real, real weak then. Real weak. I think... We have to look at what the committee says it's looking for. They're looking for the four best. How on earth could you penalize a one-loss Georgia and, and then go about publicly convincing yourself that Georgia is not one of the four best teams in the country? And why, like all losses should be created equal in terms of what time they come. What time of year they come. Georgia shouldn't be penalized for losing the last game of the year in the SEC title game when, theoretically, Alabama wouldn't be penalized for losing to Texas just because it happened early. 
Oregon might not be penalized for losing to Washington just because it happened early. One loss is one loss, in my opinion. But I do like to do the exercise, always. A couple times a day, keeps the doctor away. Ask yourself constantly when you're in this debate at the old water cooler. Ask yourself, which of these teams, which of these six, which of these eight, maybe, which of them have the best win and which has the best loss? Then run through all the scenarios you would of what's going to happen this weekend and redo that exercise. If this happens, this happens, this happens. Now, who has the best win of the year and who has the best loss of the year? Best loss being like highest rated loss or, you, you know, close games or more overtime. So something like that, like where you're not really, like, for instance, Ohio State losing to Georgia in the college football semifinal last year. No one is, like, knocking Ohio State for that. That, were, that was the best loss of the season by far for any team. I know it sounds lame and loser mentality, but that matters. You have to think about what the difference, but, you know, there's a difference between these two things. What will the committee do? What should the committee do? I believe if given the opportunity, the committee will not have any problem fucking the Pac-12. And I'll tell you why. The Pac-12 is in its final days of existence. Literally. So who the hell is going to complain about it? Oregon won't be part of the Pac-12 in a matter of months. Save for Washington. The Pac-12 as we know it, at least. It's gone, so if you have a chance to screw somebody, screw them. Florida State, with or without Jordan Travis, I, I don't, like, their strength of schedule, 56th in the country, there's 6th out of these 8 teams on this list. ESPN FPI gives Michigan, who I believe is the clear number two team in the country. A lot of people like Oregon right now. I tell you the teams outside Georgia I like that I think could beat Georgia. Michigan and Texas. So if Georgia beats Bama, the last team I want to see there in that four seed is Texas. Do not give me Texas in that first round. And would it be at the Sugar Bowl? Is that right? Pretty sure Texas beat Georgia in the Sugar Bowl not too long ago. I don't want Texas to give me Washington, give me Oregon, give me Florida State, ideally. Not Texas in that first round. So what should Georgia be rooting for if they lose at 4 o'clock? On Saturday, you will, you will have hoped Oklahoma State beat Texas. You're going to want to root for Louisville to beat Florida State, possible. And then what do you root for in the Pac-12 game? It will have already happened at that point, but, but what do you root for in that one? I think, I think you would root for Oregon if you're a Georgia fan hoping to get in with one loss. Because then that puts Oregon one loss, Washington one loss, 
you know, Bama one loss in that scenario. Texas knocked out. I, I, I like Michigan to roll over Iowa, but I guess theoretically you would root. For Iowa to win that game, I mean, realistically, if Michigan loses to Iowa, the number 16 team in this week's rankings, is there an argument that they could still get in with one loss? Say Iowa beats Michigan. Bama beats Georgia. Oklahoma State beats Texas. Louisville beats Florida State. They wouldn't put two Pac-12 teams there. Chaos. An absolute chaos scenario for the college football playoff committee. But let me tell you a little secret. What's a chaos scenario, nightmare scenario, as they say, uh, to one man is another man's dream scenario. And when you're talking about ratings for these for these ranking shows and for the next week of sports talk across the country, these things deliver. We got a lot of debate, and we are in for one hell of a college football weekend. I can't wait. I can't wait to see how this all shakes down. And then, uh, I guess, what is it, Sunday? Is it the 3rd? Sunday, December 3rd, I think, are the college football is the release show. So, huge weekend coming up, not just for Georgia, to exercise some demons against Alabama and that old bad Nick Saban. But also, for the college football world, we're witnessing the end of an era here. I mean, we all remember when this four-team playoff started. It seemed like that was a... um, You know, like a monster step, a giant leap from the BCS system to the 14 playoff. The 14 to the 12 team is going to be a way bigger leap. Way bigger leap. So enjoy it while you can. And again, 12 teams are going to be more difficult to win than four teams. So the chances are, if Forge can pull a three-peat here, ESPN and FPI gives them a 15% chance. That's low. Michigan, 31% chance. Oregon, 18% chance. Three favorites. Um, Georgia pulls off a three-peat. Not only will it be first time in modern history, you know, since going back to, like, the World War II, even before that, but it may be the last time it ever happens, period. Are we ever going to see a team capable of winning three in a row going through a 12-team bracket? I don't know. That's going to be tough. Plus, we know that Georgia's welcoming Oklahoma and Texas into the SEC along with the rest of the conference. It's only going to get more difficult from here. I believe that 20, 30 years from now, we will look back and say that this era was the easiest era to win a national title. At least in terms of it was the easiest era in terms of getting yourself to the conversation as a power five. With a 12 team where it starts, I mean, you're going to have to be rolling that time of year. You're going to have to be rolling healthy. You're going to have to have 
guys not sitting out. So enjoy it while you can, folks. College football this weekend. I can't wait. The Lady and Sons Restaurant, a segment sponsor here on the Hot Credits Podcast, 102 West Congress Street. Lady and Sons, you guys probably know the name. They have their restaurant, obviously, at 102 West Congress Street, but then the store right next door, literally right next door to the restaurant, also on Congress Street, open seven days a week, 11 to 9, 912-233-2600, 912-233-2600 is the number for Lady and Sons. Find them on Facebook and ladyandsons.com. All right, I know I promised you Georgia Southern, but this episode has gone too long. It's too late at night. Um, Here's the plan. I'm going to wrap up with a couple more things quickly and then put the episode out. And then I'm going to turn around and record a Georgia Southern bonus episode because I got a lot of thoughts. I mean, I have like three pages of notes here. And I don't want to go for 90 minutes, you know, on... The entire episode. I, I just don't want to force it into this episode. Um, but I know Georgia Southern fans are anxious, are talking a lot about what's going on after a, a collapse, an outright collapse. And so I'm going to talk about it. Plenty to talk about with the Eagles. But let's wrap up this regular episode 173 of HGP um, with just a couple of notes from around the sports world um, and from around the hot grits world if you will, um, to wrap up here. Uh, HCP CDOTW, I'm going to go with players' moms. Players' moms is the HCP CDOTW this week. No, not Delonte West. He's not back. No, we got ourselves a hockey story here, folks. Connor Bernard, uh, thought of by many hockey nerds uh, as the next Greatwood. Perhaps the best young player in the league, maybe the best player in the league for Chicago. Um, and the way I gather it, sort of a vet that they brought in, Corey Perry, C-O-R-E-Y, Perry, P-E-R-R-Y. Um, apparently, Corey Perry had sex with Mr. Bedard's mom on a mom's weekend. Yep, you heard that right. Apparently... Corey Perry had sex with Connor Bedard's mom, and Mr. Perry was unceremoniously waived outright released from the Chicago Blackhawks on, let's see, what day was it? Tuesday. On Tuesday, so today. Uh, well, yesterday, I guess, if you're listening to this on Wednesday. So, Mr. Bedard uh, basically probably told the Blackhawks, hey, Get this motherfucker out of here. Pun fully intended. HTP CDOTW players' moms. Hide your kids, hide your wives, definitely hide your moms. Uh, the Major League Baseball All-Star Game is returning to Atlanta. This is a couple weeks ago now. Um, I knew it would. We called it at the time. Everybody knew it would. Um, but I'll say this. The reaction to the game coming back in 2025 was met with a bunch of only if the libs don't take it again. Only if the liberals. What about Stacey Abrams? 
anytime you comment something like that or say something like that, you're doing exactly what they would. You're bringing attention to the issue through the all-star game. Okay, so don't bring up the fact that they took it from us, you dummies. We got it in our grasp. Don't bring up a voting law. Do not let politics mess up the Braves 2025 All-Star Game where they will be defending their 2024 World Series title. Knock on wood. Tiger Woods announced he is coming back. The Big Cat. Later this month at the PNC father son. Uh, Woods had a press conference this week. He also is planning on playing in a few tournaments in 2024 along with the four majors, probably five to seven tournaments. In total, if you're into that kind of thing, and I am into that kind of thing. All right, um, go check out From Behind the Barcast. The boys on Tybee, I was down with them uh, this week on their show. Find it on YouTube. You can watch the show uh, from behind the barcast. Go click subscribe for them, then click unsubscribe, then click subscribe again. I'm pretty sure that's how you do numbies. So do that for those boys. You can go watch me cut it up over there. Um, let's see. Uh, make sure you're following and subscribing us too. And if you're still listening to this, let me just do a shameless plug real quick. It's been a month since I recorded um, I'll be honest with you guys, I need some help. Uh, you know, I need, and by help, I mean either monetary help by way of sponsors or by way of a free intern because I just simply have not been able to expedite. I haven't been able to improve on how long it takes me post-production to get these episodes out. I don't think a lot of people understand how long it takes me you know, it's not like I'm saying it takes everyone this amount of time, but it takes me a long time to prep for these things. I mean, like, I write out almost everything I'm going to say, not script-wise, but, like, topic-wise, it's a lot of prep. And I had to start doing that when you go by yourself because you can't just come over here and ramble. Very unlike me. I don't ramble. You guys know this. You know this about me. So I am, like, I, I don't know. I'm sort of in a limbo here. You know, I don't know. I, you can obviously support the show, ninety nine cent a month, four ninety nine a month, nine ninety nine a month. Uh, that link is on our Hinker page. If you're listening to this, you should be able to see it at the bottom um, of the show page of the Hawkers show page. It's Anchor or Spotify dot something slash support. I will post a link for sure at the bottom of this episode in the episode notes. Um, so you can subscribe that way if you just want to support the show with a monthly donation. Um, and I appreciate that for sure. Or if you want to have ads read, um, I sell the ads by month uh, for segment sponsors and for title sponsor, which is at the beginning of the episode. Uh, I sell that by every, every three months. So hit me up about that. Obviously, I'm readily available, easy to contact. Um, but that's sort of, you know, where I'm at right now. I need to be able to, you know, pay for services and stuff like that to, to get this stuff out quicker if I'm going to keep this up. Those are the facts. And 
I'm not going to quit this show without, you know, I'm not just going to ghost out. So, you know, this isn't the last Hawk Earth podcast. The next one will not be the last one. Um, but I am beginning to start thinking about what that might look like. Um, unless I can get some help, you know, either producing the show for free or from sponsors and or supporters of the show. So you can reach me. There's plenty of ways to reach me um, with social media uh, on through email um, or just directly through this Anchor support page, Spotify page. So that's it. That's the, uh, that's the way I'm going to end this episode. Um, bonus Georgia Southern episode coming up. I'm going to leave you guys with a clip from head coach Jim Mora. This dummy, UConn football head coach Jim Mora, telling fans that you got to pay if you want to criticize folks. If you want to criticize how bad your college football team is, you better pay money so they can buy players. Shades of Mark Stoops. We saw some of this going on in stints for over the weekend. Don't criticize the team and the program and Coach Helton if you're not giving your money. Damn shit. You don't have to pay to criticize. That's your right. I will die on this hill. If you watch every game, if you watch every play, you have every right to be as happy, mad, and can criticize. So you, you have every right. You're dedicating your time. And what do they say about time? Time is money. Jim Mora. But then, stay safe. Wash your hands, you filthy animals. If we're going to play those teams and people want us to beat Duke and North Carolina State and Syracuse and, East, and Maryland next year and Wake Forest next year, then there needs to be a commitment monetarily to helping us get the players that can beat them. Because if you're not going to help us get the players to beat them, then you are not entitled to bitch when we don't beat them. She's a point star.